good to gather together tonight, and uh, we're going to continue our look through the book of um, Acts. And so if you have a Bible, uh, you can take it and turn to Acts chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, they're in the seats underneath, the, in front of you, little black, or black books. And um, we do say that if you have come here and you have never had a Bible before, you are welcome to take one of those Bibles home with you. And uh, it is just a, a way that you can begin engaging with the Word of God. And uh, <coughs> so tonight, we're looking at... Um, now, the first miracle uh, that's recorded, at least, in the, in the early church, and it's a, it's a pretty amazing miracle. And uh, um, I, I, I was thinking, what would it be like if Jesus was still active and alive in our services today? And I, I think that maybe assumes that he's not, but uh, maybe in, in a way that we're going to look at tonight. Um, what would it be like if, if we really understood how Jesus continued to work and to teach in the world around us today? Um, well, I think Acts gives us an insight into that, and that's what I've been trying to get across to all of us, is that the book of Acts tells us what our life should be like today. It tells us that, that Jesus isn't just in heaven, but that he dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, and that as we become Christians and as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we are um, God's or Christ's hands and feet. We are the vessels through whom Christ continues to, to do things and to teach in this world around us. And so Acts gives us a little bit of picture about that. Now, last uh, week we wrapped up um, on Easter weekend looking at how the church had gathered together after that first sermon that Peter had uh, delivered and 3,000 people became Christians that day. That's an amazing amount of people. That's about um, 15 times as many people are here tonight. In one fell swoop, they became Christians. And uh, they then all began to live together, not live together, but um, um, worship together and pray together and eat together and, and share their goods with one another so that they all um, uh, had things in common. But right after that then, Paul, or Luke tells us that there was also some pretty miraculous things that were going on. And tonight we're going to look at that first miracle that's recorded. It's how a lame man um, regained the strength in his feet and his legs because of the power of Christ the name of Jesus, he healed him, and what that miracle did for the community that witnessed it. It's not the only miracle that took place in this time. In fact, um, uh, at the end of uh, chapter 2 and verse 43, it says that many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And then a little bit later, uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it, it says that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And then a little bit later in Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip, uh, who was also one of the apostles, and it says that, um, uh, uh, that crowds were with one accord paying attention to what was being said by Philip when they, th when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying out with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed and lame or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. I don't think I would um, uh, take the chance and, and ask how many of you have witnessed a miracle or how many of you have seen a sign and wonder, the kinds of things that they're talking about here. But I am one that is convinced that um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I personally am convinced that Jesus continues to do signs and miracles around the world and in the church. He continues to, to do and to teach his people. And my prayer is in an ongoing way that should God see fit, that we might see some of those things even in our church and in our community. That the miraculous power of Christ might yet be displayed 
in our community. Um, this is not the kind of thing, though, that we expect to see in our churches. I don't think any of us come uh, to church expecting to see a miracle or a sign or a wonder. Uh, at least that's not the impression I get. I think we just come to church and we think, well, there's going to be some singing and then they're going to want our money and then there's going to be a, a sermon. And um, sometimes we come and we're excited about that. And, um, yet, but I, I don't know how many of us wake up on a Sunday morning and say, I'm going to church because I believe God is going to do something there today. Um, that's kind of the excitement and the anticipation that was in the early church. They were just blown away by what Christ was continuing to do amongst them. <laughs> so the question I want us to at least be willing to ask is, does God still heal today? Um, does, thank you. Yes, I believe that. Um, but you got ahead of the question. <laughs> we're, that's the answer I expect, um, but we're going to work our way through that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I, I wanna, um, I'm going to work my way through a couple verses at a time. And the first thing that I was thinking about is um, same place, different business. Same place, different business. The first uh, verse says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So they were headed on a destination. They were going to the temple, and they were going to pray. Without being dogmatic, I, I might say that it was a Sabbath day. I'm not exactly convinced of that, though, but I think it could have been. Um, uh, at the very least, they had daily prayers that took place at the temple at 3 o'clock. And so this is what the Jews did. At the end of the day, they, they went up and they prayed. They spent some time in prayer. In the Old Testament, the temple was called the house of prayer. It was the place where people went to meet with God. It was the place where people went to communicate with God. And twice in Jesus' ministry, it tells us that he cleared out the temple because people had turned it into a place of doing business rather than a house of prayer. And Jesus was concerned, he says, because this is the only place that some people feel they can connect with God. And they're being distracted by all this business that is taking place. And so they can't connect with God. And I think that's insightful in itself. And uh, this was to be the place where, where Jews, men and women, and Gentiles could come and they could talk to God. Um, so prayer was an integral part of why people came to church, why they came to worship. And I think we need to do whatever we can here to hinder, or not to, not to hinder it, but to encourage it uh, in our midst. And whether or not it was a, a Sabbath day, that they had the discipline of regular prayer. I wonder if I can, well, I am honest with you. I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Now, I'm sometimes troubled by our lack of praying. And I, uh, I, I think we, we are very good at fellowship. We are very good at gathering together and greeting one another and encouraging one another and catching up on the day. But I wonder if we're good at praying together. And I would uh, just encourage you to maybe think about some things. Um, we have started praying on a regular basis um, before the service. And so if you come at 5.30, we're going to be up in the upper room and we're going to be praying. And I just, uh, it would be so encouraging if more of you came and just came here in order to seek God and ask God to, to pour out his, his power and His presence in our midst as we gather together as a church. I remember going to a church about um, 25 years ago. It was the most amazing experience of my life, and I have longed to repeat this experience. It was in Portland, Oregon, and it was a very, very large church. And I was going to a couple churches as a young pastor, just seeing what different churches went. And as I came to this church, and I got out of my car, I could begin to sense the presence of God. And as I walked into the church, I was sort of hit with this, with this um, sense that there was something different about this place. 
And then as I walked into the, to the auditorium, and they had a, a, a more like a church auditorium, but they had a front like this, and it was packed with hundreds of people calling out to God before the service started. And it just was this, it just stirred within me something that says, could that ever happen again? Would it ever happen that maybe here in Parksville, that as we came to this church, we would flood to this church and at, at 5.30 and at quarter to 6, we would make our way to the front here and we would grab chairs at the front or we would kneel at the front of the altars here or, the, or the, uh, the, on these stairs here and we would just begin praying. We would just begin calling out to God. We would just be asking Him to move in our lives and to, and to move in, 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 in the lives of those that would come tonight. And so that's what these people were doing. It was the time of prayer. They had disciplined themselves to prayer. And so Peter and John... We're going to the temple to do what you do when you go to the temple. You pray. But then we have another guy that was going to the same place, but for a different reason. Verse 2, it says, And a man lame from birth was being carried, who they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Same place, entirely different reason for going. He was not going there for prayer. He was not going there to worship. He was going there to beg. And I think it should remind us that, you know, not everyone who even comes to a thirsty service like this, and I would be presumptuous to say everyone that has come here tonight has come to meet God. Some maybe have come with just huge needs, and and it's all you could have done to walk in the door and sit down in a chair. That you're distracted, that something else is, is pulling at you. And so I think we, we make the, the wrong assumption to suggest that everyone who comes to the same place is going there for the same reason. And how alert are we to the people around us? How are, alert are we to what's going on in their lives? Even as we do that meet and greet, do you, do you sense sort of a sadness or do you sense a joy or do you sense a distractedness? Maybe you pray for that person as the service goes on. Lord, would you just help them? They seem down tonight. Would you speak to them because they seem a little bit distracted tonight? But here's Luke. He says, this man had been there. He was lame from birth. That's an important point, I think, in, in, in this account. He had been that way, Luke tells us, for over 40 years. For over 40 years, from birth on, he could not walk. And his daily routine was to be carried by friends to this place where people gathered to pray. He had a chronic disability. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't a bum. He wasn't faking it. And we are so quick to judge people, aren't we? We're so quick to look at somebody and and to look at their circumstances and their situation and say, well, you deserve that. Or you did something to be like that. And we we make these kind of assumptions about, this man did nothing. And and Peter and uh, Luke makes very clear, this was not his fault. He was lame from birth. He was born that way. And it was due to circumstances beyond his control. And God is very clear that we ought to care for the poor. We ought to care for those who are in some ways handicapped, whether it be physically or whether it be that their parents have died or whether it be that their husband has died. Deuteronomy says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So this man by no fault of his own, couldn't walk. He relied heavily on others. He was carried there. He was laid at the gates of the temple daily. His world was a small world. 
He had, a, he had long given up even the dream of ever being independent. This was his life. He was a prisoner in his body, and he had no hope. And, and I just, as I was thinking about it, I thought, thank you, God, for those people who, who, who dedicate their lives to helping people like this man. Who, who, they, he had men who daily, or people who daily brought him to the temple. There are people who daily work with people who from no circumstances of their own, or even from their own circumstances, they help them, they care for them, they serve them, they minister to them. What a compassion it, that is. What a commitment that is. And so he was at this, this beautiful gate. Um, most people, uh, most commentators identify this as the main eastern entrance to the temple. Uh, it was the entrance to the court of the Gentiles. And it was, um, they say it was probably made of Corinthian uh, brass. And um, that's why uh, Josephus writes, it greatly excelled those that were only covered over with silver or gold. Which kind of maybe um, ties into what Peter says. Silver and gold have we none. Um, we'll read that in a minute. It was about 75 feet high and it had huge double doors. And uh, so it was a gate that lots of people wanted to go in and out of. And it was at this gate that this man was laid daily. Notice also that his imperfection kept him from entering into the temple. I'm not sure why that was, but he stayed outside. He was at the gate. He sat there. And so um, we have Peter and John going into the temple to pray and to worship. We have this man being carried to the temple outside the gate in order that he could beg and hopefully receive some gifts from the people that were coming and going from worship. And he was begging. Let's be honest, he was begging. His whole life had been dependent upon the generosity of others. From the moment he was born to the moment um, he came to the temple that day, his whole life had been, been dependent upon what other people would give him. Alms um, were gifts of sympathy or they were gifts of compassion. Um, it was charitable acts that people, they opened their hand towards him out of their excess or maybe out of their guilt or maybe they just came from worshiping God and God had spoken to them, give some money to that man on your way out. But his whole life depended upon the generosity of the worshipers of God. God assumes that we will be charitable to others. So he says, thus, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy, or can you give to the needy, but he says, when you give to the needy, do not sound a trumpet before you as the, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised to others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, again, the assumption we who have plenty, we who have extra, we who have more than enough to get by on, we ought to be giving to the needy. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, in another place, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide, money, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches or mosses destroy. Again, I, I think we ought to be consciously aware of the fact that those, whom us, those of us whom God has blessed, we ought to be open-handed with the needy. And be careful that we don't make judgments about why they are in the situation that they are in. And so here we find Peter and John going to the temple to pray, and a man, lame from birth, couldn't walk, being carried to the temple to beg. But as Luke will tell us, God had them on a collision course 
for a divine appointment. And so he says, seeing um, Peter and John in, in verse 3, he says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, I would assume, and I think it's safe to assume, that Peter and John had gone to that temple to pray many times. And I assumed that they had seen that man at the temple many times. And I probably assume even that they had given him some money from time to time. But for some reason, this day, there was a divine appointment. And I'm encouraged by the fact that, that um, Peter and John didn't allow their sense of duty and, and to prayer excuse their neglecting an opportunity to help someone in need. How many opportunities for kindness do we pass up because we're on a mission? I have to get to church. I have to go to a meeting. I've got to go to the grocery store. And so we pass by situations where there's need and look the other way. Seeing Peter and John, he asked to receive alms. I can hardly imagine the humiliation that that must have been for this man. I don't think you ever get over um, the difficulty in asking people to help you. And he had done this for his whole life. I remember a time, um, oh, it was back in, I think, 1986. Um, our, our, uh, we had two boys at that time. I had just graduated from Regent College. And Kath and I were absolutely dead flat broke. We had no money in the bank. We had no food in the fridge. Um, we had no money coming in. And we were hungry. And we didn't know what to do. And uh, I was working at the church at that time even. I was an intern. And I was getting $200 a month as an intern at the church. But of course our pride gets in the way and we don't want to tell anybody our need. But it got to the point where finally I said to Kath, we've got to go to the church. They had hampers and they had um, food stuff that they, they gave out. And so we got in the car and we drove to the church. And we pulled into the, 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 the roundabout, which you could park your car for 15 minutes. And uh, I just stopped and I said, Kath, I can't do this. And I just sat in the car and I wept. And Kathy went in and she asked, and of course they were... They were stunned that we hadn't asked before, but they gave us some, some groceries and some, uh, some um, uh, um, money vouchers so that we could get by for the next couple of weeks. But it was, a, it was a terribly humiliating experience for me to have to go uh, to the people who knew me so well and say, I don't have any food. Because part of it, you think they're going to judge me. Well, what are you doing? You just finished college. You've had money to pay for college. You know, can't you spend your money wisely? Can't you, can't you, you know, um, budget properly? And so it was a very humiliating experience. And, and, and we've not been in that situation again. But I don't think you ever get used to asking people for stuff. No matter how many times you've had to do it. And so this man, he says to them, he says, I need help. I, I want some alms from you. And strange conversation, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. Now, I just, you know, I, I let my, my mind play, and maybe it's more a reflection on me than it is on, um, on Peter. Um, but as I was thinking about this, and, and uh, I wondered maybe that, that it says there that Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. So there must have been a split point where they were walking by, and they just stopped and they looked at the man. I think that, that this man had seen that many times. And I'm not attributing anything to Peter or John, but at least I know about me that when I see somebody that's crippled or that's different, I stare. And sometimes I look at them, and it's to my own fault and to my own shame. And don't we tell our children, don't stare at people who are different. Sometimes it's innocent. Sometimes it is condemning. 
Always it's uncomfortable for the person that's receiving the glares. But somehow I think this man was used to the stares of people. Because he had been at that gate for probably 20 years or more. Uh, And he was used to people looking at him in all different ways. And then they said, look at us. And again, I thought, without suggesting anything negative about Peter and John, sometimes people feel the need to be important or powerful when they help the poor. They need the needy person to know that while they don't approve of their lot in life, they will help them. They're doing a favor to, to, to help them that particular day. And I think this man had seen the stairs a thousand times. I'm pretty sure he had heard every kind of comment and every kind of um, encouraging word and every kind of discouraging word possible as he sat in there day in, day out. And so he did what he often did. He probably bit his tongue and he just looked at them. And at this point, we only expect Peter and John to reflect generosity. Surely they have something to give. Surely they have some alms to put his way. Um, and they say to him in verse 6, what's in a name? But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Honest response, I don't have any silver or gold. Again, this is probably more an insight into my heart than it is into the scripture. I was just writing these things down as I was thinking through this, and maybe it was good for me. But I appreciate the honesty here. Peter and John says, I don't have anything. You know, I've probably been asked a hundred times in my life, if not more than that, um, can you spare some change? Uh, Can you give me a dollar? Um, And I know that many times I have lied. And it's just uncomfortable. You just don't want to answer the question. You just don't want to be honest. And so you say, no, I don't have anything. Um, I don't think I'm proud of that. I think it's just simpler sometimes to just lie rather than say, you know, I, I do have some money, but I can't spare it. Or, you know what, um, I do have some money. There's a McDonald's down the road. Why don't I just take you down there and I'll buy you a, uh, an Egg McMuffin and a coffee if I'm concerned about giving them money that they might use for, for whatever they might use it for. But Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't lie. And nor does he walk away. He says, I, he, 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 doesn't, he says, no, I don't have any money. But he says, but I do have something for you. No, I can't do this, but I can do that for you. There's a story uh, from the Renaissance period, and it's told in many different ways, and uh, I like this particular version, um, and it may or may not be true, but it comes down to us from, uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas, who was in Rome. And he was walking along the street one day with a cardinal, and the cardinal noticed a beggar. And reaching into his pocket, he pulled out a coin, and he gave it to him. And then he turned to Aquinas, who was a great doctor of the church, and by that a great theologian of the church. And he said, well, Thomas, fortunately we can no longer say, as Peter did, silver and gold have I none. And St. Thomas replied, yes, that is true. But neither can we say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And I I think there's some some truth to that. But Peter and John seized on this moment, moment as an opportunity to witness to Jesus. You know, there are many ways to share Jesus. There are many ways to continue to do and teach um, uh, for Jesus in this world where we live. And so our responsibility is to live the Christian life as we should and to be ready for whatever comes along our path. Um, 
What's in a name? In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. The name compromises or tells us everything there is about Jesus. It tells us about his power. It tells us about his might. It reminds us that he was the God-man. It reminds us that in him all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. It reminds us that Jesus was the man who lived in heaven and the word was with God and the, and the word... Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus was God. And so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's power in that name. I want Andrew to come up here. Come on up here, Andrew. And uh, Andrew's going to just take a minute and tell us a little bit about the name of Jesus and the power in that name. And so I'm going to give Andrew the mic, and I'm going to sit down, and Andrew's going to talk to us for a couple minutes. Hey, um, actually, there's one thing I just want to say first time. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that is, I believe that Jesus healed today. God still heals today. Absolutely. I believe that because uh, actually I witnessed it um, in India. It's actually a pretty incredible story, and I'm just going to share that with you, actually. Um, but uh, that whole day was just amazing because God did... Incredible things leading all the way up to that time, right? Just when that healing came. And he did more than just one. It was like many, many healings, right? So, um, but uh, I can remember that morning very clearly. Like it was like yesterday, right? Because uh, I woke up and the first thing I saw was, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I was just like, yes, yes. And I was just excited. I was happy. I was like, you know what? I'm going to worship God today. So I got on my guitar right away and I started worshiping him. And I was just excited about it. And I was like, woo! Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made, right? And so I was just so excited. I started worshiping uh, for the whole morning. And then um, I can remember my buddy came in and said, okay, got to go on our ministry now, okay? So get ready. So um, okay, I had to have a quick breakfast and then go down and uh, away we go on the autos to our ministry. We we're going uh, in a town around India. And oh, man, it's just on the way there, I couldn't stop worshiping. I couldn't stop singing praises to God. I was like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I just kept singing and singing and singing. Finally, we get to the church, and oh, everybody. Then we all started gathering together, just worshiping. We're like, everybody's together. Like, we're not going to leave the church until we've all been right with God. We're all right with each other, and we're all just going to completely, you know, yeah, just be right with God, and then we're going to go out, right? And it's like a key moment right there. We're like, yes. This is what God wants. So that's what we did. And just, oh, it was amazing. And then finally we went on the ministry. And um, like three or four of us at the same time, we just like looked at each other like, wait, this isn't right. We're just handing out tracts. We need to do more than this. We need to communicate with these people. We need to start getting out there and sharing with them. And so we're like, you know what? Right here, let's do an open air. Uh, I'm not sure if many of you guys know that what that is, but that's where you... Um, Somebody stands there and they share a bit of the gospel with the Indians. Uh, there will be um, a translator translating for you. And uh, everybody was silent for a moment. And we're like, who's going to do it, though? And so we all backed up. We're like, I don't know. Who's going to do it? And uh, oh, I just happened to be the one who said, yeah, I'll do it. So put my hand up. I'll do it. And uh, so everybody looked at me like, okay, you can do it. So I stood there. And the first thing I, I remember was like, brothers and sisters. That's the first thing I said. And the translator goes and does his thing. And I was like, uh, it would be like a break in between each time. I was like, I want to tell you some amazing news about Jesus. What he can do for you. And uh, how he can save you. Save you from your sins. Save you from everything in your life, right? And I just started telling them, you know, about 
how he came to the earth and how he died for us and all these incredible things and just about how amazing and loving God is, right? And, uh, and yeah, they, at first, uh, a couple of people came. Uh, there's a couple of ladies, verse 2, and they had tears down their eyes and just, you know, like, I, that really touched me really near this, right? And of course, I, we didn't hear those words because it's translated in a different language, but the translator told us that they want to accept Jesus in their hearts. So that was amazing. Those are the first two people who prayed. But little did we know that um, moments after that, you know, they're just the next, actually, I mean, the three, the next three or four hours, we were praying constantly for people all over the entire town. And it was, oh, it was incredible. So we got to do this, and um, this one lady particularly came up to me and said, I have a husband who's, um, uh, come with me, and I want to show him to you, because he's, uh, he has a paralyzed hand, and he's, his leg, it doesn't work very well. And, uh, like, he can't, he can't walk properly with it. He needs a cane, right? And so, um, yeah, she's like, can you please come and pray for him? So we followed her down this alley, and uh, sure enough, here was the guy with the stick just walking. He's all sad, man. He could see it in his eyes, you know. He was, he was depressed and sad because he couldn't do a whole lot. He couldn't work and keep his family going and because, like, yeah, he was just crippled and stuff. And uh, me and my friend, we got, to, uh, we got the opportunity to pray for him. He's from Canada, too. So that was pretty cool. Um, the two of us, we got together. I was given some oil. I know into this hand with oil and his head and his leg. And then um, we just started praying for him. And uh, I can remember just just uh, taking a deep breath, started praying. After the first little quick prayer, just, you know, God, can you just be with this man? Can you just completely heal him? He needs you, right? Uh, after that, you know, suddenly he's, he starts to move his hand. It was paralyzed before. It was, it's just incredible. Like, right before my eyes, this guy was healed. His hand was completely was moving and stuff, right? And he, he just had tears down his eyes already. And we're like, we got to keep praying. Let's, let's pray for complete healing, right? So we continued to pray. And, uh, you know, at that moment, uh, at that time, there were people who were all over praying for many people all over. And they all decided to come and go, what's happening here? And we go, this guy here, his hand was paralyzed. And, you know, and now he can move it. Now he's, he's, uh, God healed him, right? And so we all started rejoicing together. And we got together. We're like, yes, this is awesome. This is amazing. We just, you know, God's doing amazing things around here, right? And we continued to pray and uh, rejoice together. And then this guy started moving, like, around with his leg. And he's got his hand up like this. He's moving around, and he's got tears coming down his eyes. And we're like, yes, this is amazing. And we just kept praising God. We're like, yes, this is, this is awesome, right? You know, it's amazing to um, witness a miracle. Like, I just absolutely love this. It's awesome. And then um, it's really sad, though, because the guy had um, this necklace uh, and this spray bracelet that was representing worshiping gods. And so we asked him, you know, do you want to accept Christ into your heart? And, um, you know, you want to remove these, uh, these other gods that you've been worshiping and just worship the one true God? And uh, the translator asked him that, and he said, he does. You know, he, he absolutely wanted to, right? So we prayed for him, and we asked him to repeat some words after us, and uh, the translator got it all done. At, by the end, this guy was just tears dripping all the way down his face, looking up, hands straight up in the eye, uh, in the air, and you're just like, just like a little child, accepting Christ into his heart again, his life, and it was just amazing. Uh, you know, there was many other miracles that we witnessed down there, but that was the one that stood out the most to me. That whole day was amazing. So would it be safe to say if he did? <laughs> I think it's just important that we hear, you know, this isn't just stuff that happened 2,000 years ago. God is healing people around the world today. And I believe that Christ is still active in the church today. 
He's still active through the people of God, continuing to do and to perform these things that bring him glory. And so we see that with this, um, with this man that it says that uh, he took him by the hand and he raised him up and immediately it says his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood up and he began to, to walk and, he, and notice this, he entered into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. There's something about this miracle that, that you know, it, it, God just didn't like heal him uh, without Peter or, or John. It says, and Peter reached out his hand and helped him up. There's some participation that Peter had. I think there's an expression of his faith involved in this as he reached out and grabbed the man and it says, um, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And so as Peter's lifting him up, God just infuses his power with, or his legs with creative power and makes them how he originally intended them to be. And the strength comes back into his hand. And then this man starts walking and leaping and praising God. We sing a song in here every once in a while from Isaiah 35, 4, and it says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense. He will come and save you. We sing that often, don't we? And when we sing it, it's one of the songs that we sing the loudest, and we sing it with greatest praise. Well, do you know what the very next few words say? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Why don't we incorporate that into our song? Because we believe that God can come and save us. Do we not also believe that God can give strength to lame legs? Do we not also believe that God can give speech to a mute mouth? Do we not also believe that God can give sight to blind eyes? We do. And we should. And so this is what we see here. And so as this man is healed, it says he walks into the temple, probably for the very first time in his life. He is no longer a lame man begging at the gate for alms. He is a man walking into the presence of God to praise and worship God. That's astounding to me. God had done something not only in this man's legs, but in this man's heart. And he attributed his healing to God. He was walking and leaping and praising Peter and John. He was walking and leaping and praising God. And then, of course, as we would expect with any miracle, there was this commotion that came around him. In verses 9 to 10, it says, All the people um, saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. That's one of the responses to the miracles of God. People don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They're blown away by what they've seen. They're blown away by what they're here, by what they've heard. They don't necessarily know who to attribute it to. They're just blown away. Because for, before their eyes, something supernatural has happened. It says, and they were amazed, and they were filled with wonder. I wonder again, what would happen in our midst if Jesus continued to do and teach what he did while he was here on earth. If he not only continued to teach us through his word, but if he also continued to do mighty things in our midst. I do pray yet that maybe we would see signs and wonders. Not because we want to see signs and wonders, but because they point us to the glory and the power of God. Because they reveal to us something of the power of Christ's still. They tell us that in the name of Jesus Christ, not only is there salvation, but there is sight for the blind, there is speech for the mute, there is, there is walking and leaping for the lame. I believe that God still does that today. True, the apostles are no longer with us 
And it does seem that the Bible says that miracles clustered around them. But I don't believe that God has changed. And I don't believe that the name of Jesus is any less powerful today than it was 2,000 years ago. So I tell you, the book of Acts, to my mind, tells us what is, is about what Jesus continues to do and teach. And in these last days, I believe that Jesus continues to still want to do those same things that he has always done throughout the church. Do I believe in miracles? Yes, I do, because of the testimony of people like Andrew, who have been used by God and in the power of Jesus' name has prayed for an individual and have seen before his eyes his body become normal. And then his heart accept Christ. And then him leaping and praising God. Do I believe in miracles? Yes, I do. Because the name of Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And so I want us to just be, be at least those who expect to see Christ. We can't force his hand. We can't make God do anything. But we can certainly have an attitude that expects God to work in our midst. We can certainly be those who pray and say, God, would you not only um, minister to us in a saving way, but would you confirm your power through signs and wonders in our midst and in our community? Does God still heal today? I believe he does. And I believe God can heal you tonight. And I believe that God continues to perform miracles tonight because his name is the same. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there is power.